10, 15. Back up field at the 35 to the 40. 45, 50. Pass the 50. 35, 40. Pass the 30. To the 20. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. Hello again, everyone. This is the old college try. This is your host, Tim Highland, and joining me as always is my co-host, Mike Unger. Mike, I have some bad news. What's that, Tim? Thanksgiving's over? Well, there's that, but I'm, I'm recording as I always do this uh, podcast in my garage. As you and listeners know, I've converted it into like my football watching area and soccer watching area. Um, I only have two outlets out here, Mike. Um, so once you figure out you got a fridge out here and a television, and all the stuff you need to run like YouTube TV. And then you need lights, right? So there's lights out here, um, other stuff, but that's just two outlets. So it's a lot of two outlets. I, one of the two outlets is now not functional. I think it blew up. So um, I'm standing- <laughs> what, what, about your, what about your heater? What's that running on? Well, so the one heater is on, the other one is not. And the one that's not on is the better one. Um, oh God, it's freezing. It's uh, freezing and dark uh, today. So we're recording this on Wednesday after Thanksgiving. And of course we recorded last week's on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And my God, could there be a bigger <laughs> difference between two Wednesdays between last week's Wednesday and this one? This one, it's as you just said before we got on the air here, it seems like Thanksgiving was a year ago. It really does. And like, yeah, we were in a euphoric mood last Wednesday. Oh my goodness. Every, the whole world was in front of us last week <laughs> at this very time. And now we're living in a post-apocalyptic world where, <laughs> where coaches where coaches from prospective playoff teams are leaving their teams in a lurch. What's up is down, bright is dark. It's crazy. Oh, wait, was 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 Omicron a thing last Wednesday? It wasn't, was it? There was no Omicron last Wednesday. <laughs> a lot has changed, but what a weekend it was. Uh, indeed. All right, Mike. Speaking of which, what was your weekend? Take me through your entire Thursday through Sunday. Oh, my God, it was great Thursday. We, uh, well, first, of course, it started with Wednesday night hearing the uh, recreation of The Last Waltz in its entirety with a group of local Baltimore musicians playing all the songs in order. It was awesome. It was a great show, as usual. Thursday's Thanksgiving over at my sister's house, 26 people, beautiful weather. Uh, played football with the nephews, watched some NFL, of course, got home, watched the Egg Ball, had a couple white Russians per tradition, love that. Wednesday, or Friday, I attempted to play golf in 40-mile-an-hour winds, almost froze to death. That was brutal. Um, and then Saturday, all-day college football. Really, I think it had to be the most memorable rivalry weekend uh, in the last five years, at least five to ten years, I'd say. It was – I mean, it was, there were some great games. There was – and I think um, – look – I think there's general agreement. I'm taking Army Navy out of the equation. It's a different thing. I think there's general agreement across the board that the two biggest, not just in terms of like the intensity of the rivalry, but also the national and historical scope of them, Bama, Auburn, and Ohio State, Michigan, and man, both delivered, Mike. Oh, my guy was unbelievable. Yeah, we were at, watched the whole Michigan-Ohio State game um, in my basement with uh, some folks came over, and it was it was riveting from the very start with when he saw it start snowing when you're watching game day uh, and you start to see the snowflakes come down and it was pretty steady. Nothing like it was in East Lansing, but uh, the, so the backdrop was perfect. Michigan announced their presence with authority from the second the game started. And that was incredible. And then moved out to the bar bars for the, for the three thirties. IU got trampled by Purdue. What a sad season for the Hoosiers, but even casual fans um, in the bar, we're, uh, we're pretty glued to the end of the Iron Bowl. <laughs> it was something else. Uh, so our Thanksgiving was great. We had uh, Aaron's parents, of course, former podcast member Bobby, his wife, his two kids, uh, her sister, his or her fiance, uh, Lydia's mom, um, this guy, Eddie, who is uh, uh, Lydia's sister, fiance, he's a hunter. He brought over so a couple of years ago, pre-COVID, he killed some goose and brought them over for us. It was very nice. And this year, he 
not only killed the goose, he also then made them into like goose egg rolls that were fantastic, Mike. Really, really. Oh my good. god, a goose egg roll sounds delicious. Uh, we have turkey, of course. Not my best turkey. I not my best turkey, but we did serve the same Smith Island Clark crab cakes that we had at the Lehigh Tailgate. Um, they were they were, a hit? Yeah, they were definitely a hit. And then Friday through Sunday was kind of a blur, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's just like I did a little, a little. I always do um, on Black Friday, I go shopping for Christmas, but I always go to like the local stores, right? Shop local. Mm. Like. Um, that was fun. Saturday, just a ton of football. And then Sunday was just like, all right, I'm making the absolute most of this like last day of this glorious weekend because tomorrow's going to suck. And that's what I did. So <laughs> And tomorrow did suck. <laughs> um, all right, we should get right to it. The weekend review. <laughs> I have the wrong score for this game. It was Ole Miss 31, Mississippi State, Mississippi State 21, right, Mike? Correct. Yes, it went yeah. under. Yes. Uh, it went under, huh? It sure did. That was an L for you. We'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, again, just a wonderful – this game needs to be Thanksgiving night every single year. And if you're these schools, just own Thanksgiving night, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And now that it's, it's probably under threat when Texas moves back to the – or moves to the SEC, you could have – uh, Texas, Texas A&M again, which was a great rivalry, but I tend to, uh, to to like the Egg Bowl a little more on Thanksgiving night. It's a little more festive than Texas. Texas. Yeah, exa- exactly, exactly. Yeah. And also A&M, that, it was a great rivalry, the, the Texas A&M game. Um, but remember they had that horrible incident with the, the bonfire that went completely yeah. off? Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. That was, that was brutal. Yeah, this wasn't really one of the more memorable egg bowls i'd say i mean it's always yeah. fun it's always a fun tableau to watch to have on thanksgiving night but um old miss was really the better team and controlled the game pretty much from start to finish mississippi state made a ton of mistakes they had so many drops and misfires uh, from from their offense uh so but kudos to lane kiffin and the rebs 10 and 2 hell of a season for them that would be a fun fun game to go to but it would just be like wow you gotta you gotta kind of like mentally adjust to like all right this is gonna be very unconventional thanksgiving yeah all those all those people i mean imagine you're a detroit lion fan and you spend every thanksgiving dragging your ass down to a lions <laughs> game to see them lose yet again i mean at what point do you say this is not a fun thanksgiving i mean obviously the grove and and the egg bowl would be it would be different than that but uh you would definitely would take an adjustment that Lions Bears game was so depressing. Like my God, <laughs> that was that was bad. If the the Lions are they're staring 0-16 and one for for the first time ever in the face. Uh, Iowa twenty eight, uh, Nebraska twenty one. We've been saying it all year. First of all, Iowa. How in the world with that offense they are where they are? Whatever. <laughs> but um, Nebraska in every game just can't win a game. They. I actually watched most of the second half of this game. They were dominating this game. I mean, I couldn't do anything. And then Nebraska starts with the turnovers and, and the mistakes and the special teams errors, the penalties. I really just hope that Nebraska got all of this out of their system uh, this year and that they can turn it around next year. What was the stat going around? So uh, Nebraska was uh, where they, they were one and eight in the big, in big 10 play and their point differential was zero. They, they were all, all of their losses except for one, which was a nine-point loss. All of their yeah. other losses within one score. That's crazy. It's amazing. It, it seems like you couldn't even do that if you tried. Um, yeah, so maybe they, better, they better keep Frost and stick with them long-term. They have to come yep. to what they are. It's a long-term project there. I they, it's it sounds crazy when your record's that bad. They made progress. They look they look better this year. They did. Yeah, no, you're you're, you're absolutely right. I think they could be primed. The schedule is much easier uh, next year, too. So I think they could be primed for a breakthrough season for Frost next year. Uh, the game, Michigan 42, Ohio State 27. So much to say in this game. First of all, the optics pregame could not have possibly been better, except for one thing. So you had, look, the big house looked awesome. Um, Michigan home unit, I hate to say it, they look, they look great. Yeah, the yeah with the, the 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 blue the blue on blue they I agree they did look good. The snow was just absolutely perfect. It was like absolutely perfect. The only thing that could have made it better, Mike, Ohio State instead of wearing their road like silver and whites, if they wore their home scarlet and grays, that would have been great. Yeah, that would have been cool, no doubt about it. I also liked how both pregame shows were there. It was just 
the center of the college football universe. And you could tell the fans were fired up for that game. Uh, and they had, you know, they had a little confidence, uh, you know, and especially with the way the game started when Michigan state came right out, you know, got the lead showed that they could physically dominate Ohio state's defense. And boy, did that offensive line and, and Haskins and that offense exert their manhood over Ohio state. That first drive was so impressive. It was so key. It got, it gave them a lot of confidence. And I think they, they, uh, they could feel and they could tell that they could do that all game against Ohio state. Um, and look, Ohio state didn't play poorly. This is this no. first case since Harbaugh was there where Michigan flat out outplayed Ohio state. They did. Couldn't, couldn't agree with you more. They look, they were the better team and you got the feeling that if they played, I don't know, 10 times, uh, Michigan would win six or seven, you know? I mean, Haskins was unbelievable. How about that Hutchinson kid? They could not stop him. They couldn't. No, they, they couldn't. They could not block him. And remember, we said on the show last week, we said bad weather would really, really favor Michigan. And I think it really did. And I, I you know, I hadn't looked at the weather, but when I started seeing the, the flakes come down uh, in the pregame show uh, during game day, I, you start, you just got this feeling maybe this was finally Michigan's time. Hey, amazing win. Congrats to Harbaugh. Congrats to Michigan. Um, I did kind of enjoy his jab at Ryan Day, which is like, there's some truth in that. <laughs> about um, Some people think that they hit a triple when they're born on third base. Let's, let's be honest, like Ryan Day <laughs> did kind of inherit a decent situation there at Ohio State, um, but probably not entirely necessary by Jim Hart to do that. Right, Mike? I mean, like, yeah, but, you know, Day, what Day was unhappy with Harbaugh last year about some of the COVID stuff. So it's it's that kind of sauciness that keeps this rivalry great also amazing thing after the game when you saw all the michigan fans and students on the field and yet it still looked like the big house stands were all filled i think people <laughs> probably just came in from outside on campus like just to run onto the field after the game it was it was an awesome post-game scene uh bama 24 auburn 22 we were all watching this after we had friends over that day um on one hand it's like of course, Bama won. That's like a yeah. takeaway. But that was a hell of an ending. Like, that was an unbelievable ending. The 97-yard drive by Alabama to tie it. Bryce Young, he'd been under pressure all game, right? Oh, Alabama's offensive line could not block Auburn for whatever reason. And for him to drive him down like that, we watched the Bama-Arkansas game, another close win, Tim, in the sports book, you and I and some other folks a week ago and we were just marveling about Bryce Young how accurate he was how great uh, his decisions were and this was just a spectacular last drive um once it went into overtime of course you knew the outcome but uh you know credit to Auburn they hung tough uh until we got to the the ridiculous two-point conversion show which is just I don't know why they do that it proves nothing that but you just be, had a feeling that could you just be had a, a feeling it was Alabama's game yeah, yeah, but that 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 two point that could be a one and done rule, right? This is it's a disaster. It's, no it's an absolute it. disaster. Yeah, it's I've horrible. not heard one person like it. I mean, and what are you doing? You're saving what three plays? How is that worrying about player safety? Come on, it's football. Anyway, Bama's were I just we'll get there later, but Bama, as good as Bryce Young is, I mean, good luck this weekend, Bama. Um yeah, I agree with you. Oklahoma State 37, Oklahoma 33. Look, this game is big every year. The result's a big deal in Oklahoma every year. And I don't want to pin this entire crazy tidal wave of movement and coaching on this one result this year. I do believe if Lincoln Riley won this game, he would still be Oklahoma's coach. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting. He, if, if he won this game, Oklahoma would be getting ready to play the Big 12 championship match game with a with I think a legitimate chance of making the playoff and you have to figure Riley might have stayed but then you have the example of Brian Kelly leaving a school that also has in theory an outside chance to playoff I don't think they'll get there who knows but I was happy to see Mike Gundy break through you know he's two and 14 leading uh, heading into this game Oklahoma State was favored it was in Stillwater it seemed like again this was their year much like it was Michigan so as Happy to see the uh, the Cowboys win this one. Um, didn't watch as much of this game as closely as I wished I did, as I wished I had. But it was uh, it was a it was a uh, heartening result to see for the Pokes. 
<laughs> Sparty 30, Pente 27. Like, I, you know, I've been a defender of James Franklin. This season has been extremely frustrating in a lot of different ways. And this loss kind of encapsulated a lot of it. I, I think Franklin got in the way here of our OC. Everyone knows that what, like, what is Michigan State's biggest, most glaring weakness that everyone knows about? Their pass defense. So James Franklin, after like finding Dotson twice in the first 15 minutes for touchdowns, decides to try to run the ball. We have run the ball the entire year. Okay. Like, and his defense was, and I think this would, could cost us Mike Yurcich, our OC. It became clear that Franklin was like the one saying like, no, we need to run the ball. It's like, no, you don't. Mm-hmm. You just score touchdowns. Um, there is way too much talent on this Penn State team to be seven and five. It was an extremely frustrating loss as a fan. That being said, congrats, Sparty, Mel Tucker, for a great season. I'm yeah. curious now what the future is for Penn State, to be honest with you. Well, maybe uh, Franklin's first mistake was how could they wear those all white jerseys? I mean, <laughs> I realize that's what they wear on, on the road, but you absolutely could not see them. Maybe he thought as the snow picked up that the quarterback couldn't see the receivers because we couldn't – I certainly struggled seeing a little bit of it on, on TV. I didn't watch a ton of the game, uh, but it was on, and every time I glanced, it seemed like it was snowing harder. Yeah, and it was just it was just cool to see. And, again, yeah, props to Mel Tucker. Everybody liked to talk about how this game was, uh, what, 100, 200 million in coaching extensions. Um, I think both those schools are going to regret those extensions in a few years. <laughs> uh, Minnesota 23, Wisconsin 13. Here for one reason, neither one of these seasons, either for, for uh, Minnesota or Wisconsin, makes any sense, right? Yeah, I, I couldn't believe it when I saw the score. Didn't see the game because uh, there were too many other good games happening around it. But I was shocked that Minnesota – having won, what, six or seven in a row coming into this, um, you know, with a berth in the Big Ten title game right there in front of them, uh, would lose to a Minnesota team that was very inconsistent all year. I mean, props to them and P.J. Fleck, but very odd result. And finally, it must be said, Clemson 30, Carolina zero. Yeah. It's a weird thing to say for a guy who's won national titles and had amazing seasons. I sincerely believe, like, this may be Dabo's best coaching job at Clemson. He could have let this season spiral out of control. A lot of coaches would have let it spiral out of control. Um, he brought it back. Not a bad year in the end, given how it started, right? Oh, my God. If you Well, you look at a couple things. One, there was some uh, grumbling, some murmurs about maybe this was a year South Carolina could give Clemson a game, right? Well, he put, he, he, he put the kibosh on that quickly. Clemson did number two when you look back on the season Clemson is the only team to even remotely give Georgia a game and granted their offense was putrid in that game but everyone's offense has been putrid against Georgia Um, but yeah if you look at Georgia's results they have only played one close game the entire season and that was against Clemson so definitely an interesting interesting year for the Tigers and I think it's the kind of year and I'm sure I know that Clemson's killing it in the recruiting trail, right? Like you can use this to build some momentum into next year and be like, it was a blip. We fought through it. We fought harder at the end and look out for next year. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how they approach their bowl game and how many guys opt out and how they, uh, you know, what kind of uh, importance and emphasis they put on that game, because that you're right. That is the kind of, a lot of times, People will talk about how bowl games can lead into momentum for the next year, and I think most of the time that's crap. But I think in this case, that that could be uh, the, the case for for Clemson. Um, speaking of like players opting out, given what's happening with coaches the past couple of weeks, I never want to hear about people playing with players opting out again. Okay. <laughs> yeah, every, everybody, everybody has the freedom to opt out to do whatever the hell they want at any time. That's basically the new mantra of college football. Mike, for the rankings this week, let's be honest here. Is it at this point, is it really necessary to rank 25 teams? No. no let's just, just, why don't you just start it? Start at number seven. Yeah, that's exactly my thought. Um, all right, seven, Ohio State, who I think it would take an absolute miracle of miracles for them to get in, right? I, I can really not see a scenario uh, in which they get in. I mean, maybe one is out there, but I, it's hard for me to see one. Uh, 
Notre Dame at six, 11 and one. They're still in play. Barely, because they would need a Cincinnati loss. Um, and then I think they still could get uh, jumped by Baylor. Five, Oklahoma State, also 11 and one. Definitely lurking. Oh, yeah. And uh, the question is, Will could Oklahoma say if everybody if chalk if chalk holds up and uh, uh, could Oklahoma State jump Cincinnati if Cincinnati wins? I know you think they could. Actually, I don't. Here's my thing: if Oklahoma State's name was Oklahoma in the same situation, <laughs> that's true. They could, but Oklahoma State cannot. You you might you might you might be right, and that, it actually kind of speaks to the whole reason why you thought Cincinnati could be jumped. In the first place, so that's it's interesting. So since E four again, they placed them in a Paris leaf at the last spot they could. <laughs> yep, yep. They're hoping for the best as a committee. Um, three Bama, which I think is justified given their mm -hmm. right. Two Michigan, also in my mind justified. Yeah, and finally Georgia on question number one. I do think it's a different kind of team. This Georgia season feels like the 19 LSU season where it's like clearly all year LSU was the best team and it's like they're going to win it they are I, I agree I mean it, it's almost like a mirror image of the 19 LSU team offense versus defense right um, you know yeah I, you think the committee will be rooting for Houston to beat Cincinnati I think they probably will uh, <laughs> but but Houston has won 11 games in a row so I think that uh, Cincinnati has that going for them that they're playing a real good team in the title game. I'm really, I'm really interested to watch that uh, that AAC championship game. I think it's the biggest game of the weekend in a lot of ways. Yeah, I know, I know. But I think, well, we'll, we'll get to the, we'll get to uh, the predictions because there, there are some teams who are coming off some real emotional wins, and uh, I'm just saying, look out. All right, this all dovetails into the next discussion. Of course, this has been. And of course, you want to avoid recency bias, Mike. We're like old men now. We know we have <laughs> history and stuff. Um, this has been, if not the craziest few days of coaching news, and the one of the craziest periods of few days, right? This has been. I'm not sure people saw Lincoln Riley suddenly going to USC of all places. Let's start there. No, no of course not. No, I mean he looks. I'm sure he'll succeed there. And it's a coup for USC, but to leave, I mean, to leave Oklahoma, I, I could see him doing it for the NFL, right? Like he's a Cliff Kingsbury type. He's a young guy. He's got a bright offensive mind. You know, maybe he gets sick of recruiting, but to see him go to USC, I mean, it was to leave Oklahoma. It was, it was a shocker. And I think there's, I think, so of course, Oklahoma fans being fans are like all upset about this. It's like, come on, come up. Um, being fans, that's a well put. <laughs> the added layer of this is that he was the anointed one by Bob Stoops. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he was handpicked as a very young coach to be given this, like, what, top seven job in the country, probably. Yeah. Yeah. And he's walking away. <laughs> it's like, thank you. And I'm going to USC. He does seem like more of a Los Angeles guy than a, uh, Norman, Oklahoma kind of guy. Yeah, I don't know where he's. You're, you know, I was thinking that too. I don't know where he's. Honestly, I don't know where he's from. Um, I'll look that up while we're talking. But uh, he he did look the part of a. He does look the part of a USC coach, doesn't he? When he was, you know, wearing those colors and at that press conference, and of course bathed in sunshine out there at the Coliseum, and he does. Uh, and of course, what two days later, the number one quarterback prospect in 2023 flips from Oklahoma. Now going to USC, I'm sure that makes the Sooner fans uh, even happier to to at at, the, at this turn of events. But yeah, it's uh, that was a that was a hell of a way to start it, start the week. The terms of the deal, by the way, are crazy. What's it's eleven million dollars a year contract, which is like insane. I think it's eleven, eleven. I think Mike. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't see, but the, the the other the other the parks are great. Yeah, use of a private jet for him and his family whenever they want it. It's pretty nice. 24-7. Got to be nice. Also, like, I heard this one. I'm like, is that legal? They, USC bought his house in Norman for $500,000 <laughs> over asking. <laughs> I know. I saw that, too. And apparently, 
there's a tax angle there where it's like, so you can take up to $500,000 over on that kind of capital gain with no tax penalty, Mike. <laughs> really good. Well, kudos to his agent and to the USC folks for obviously I had no idea about that. Talk about a law that doesn't affect me. And then also there was some crazy, like his housing allowance in LA is like a million dollars, something like that. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's it, all the little perks are great. And plus he gets to hang out with Will Ferrell and Snoop. So I think he'll do great out there. The Pac-12 yeah, so is right for someone to go in there and just own it. And UC for all, USC for all its flaws and its weaknesses and the facilities suck and the fans aren't that great. Um, I think the brand still carries massive weight out there on the West. Of Coast. course. And it's the it's path to conference and national success is far easier at USC than it is Oklahoma. For all the fans, the Oklahoma fans whining about he's scared of the SEC, which I would be doing too if I was an Oklahoma fan. It's just common sense. Why would you want to go into the SEC and battle 10 good teams every year as opposed to going out to the Pac-12 and basically uh, being installed as a favorite right off the bat, especially in the Southern Division? I think it's just smart. And, I, you know, it's, it's something that clearly uh, Oklahoma's leaders did not think about when they made that move to the SEC. So, of course, for like about 17 hours, this announcement royals the college football world, right? This is like, oh, my God, like no yeah. coach has left Oklahoma for another college job since like 1947 or something like this. Is Jim Tatum cool. going to Maryland. <laughs> and then, again, whatever, 17, 18 hours later, Brian Kelly <laughs> to LSU, Mike, like this one. He's I did not see. I, I did not see that coming. At least Lincoln Riley to USC. You're like, okay, you can you can see him at USC. Surprising left Oklahoma, but you can see him at USC. I cannot see Brian Kelly at LSU, which is not to say he's not going to be a good coach there. He's not going to win there. But I just, I just, I just didn't see it. I don't see it. It's a bizarre one to me. Um, like I, I don't. Brian Kelly seems like kind. I'll, I'll be blunt here. He seems like kind of an asshole to me. Yeah, he he, he does. He certainly comes off across that way. And but uh, he's he's and, the winning. And, and people in people in Louisiana do not seem that way. They seem like partiers. But he, I think part of this is he is legitimately the winningest coach in the history of Notre Dame football. I do think he, in the current system of college football, and there are. People roll their eyes. He does not have access to all the same players that a Bama or a LSU or Clemson. Or, he, there are restrictions at Notre Dame. There are. It's like a little bit like Stanford. It's not quite Stanford, but that's the reality. Like he has really good players. Those players he can't get. I think he realized he hit the he, he hit the ceiling hard, but he hit it at Notre Dame. And him being an asshole competitor wants a Division One title on his resume, and I think he decided it was not going to happen at Notre Dame. And I think, honest to God, Mike, I think he's right. It, you know, I th I agree with everything you just said, and also, you know, maybe he just got sick of working there. Like, how long have you worked at your current job, Tim? I mean, uh, not twelve years, uh, me either. I mean, people move jobs all the time, and it's. It's tough for us to see it because he's got such a high-paying and, and high-profile job, but maybe he just wanted a change. Um, the other thing I want to add is people give him gave him a lot of grief because his meeting with the players was only, I don't know, what, 10 minutes? I mean, what do you want him to do? He, 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 I read the transcript of what he said. seemed very heartfelt to me. I, obviously, I wasn't in the room. I didn't know his tone. Um, but, you know, it's better than what Randy Edsel did. It's better than what uh, – a lot of these coaches do. Uh, he met with the team, told him his reasons, and said, uh, "I'm moving on." And thanks for the effort. I don't. I don't understand griping about how long he actually spoke to the team. He did speak to him. But my question, my question is, I have one thing to, to add. Is though, yes, he definitely has access to maybe we'll say a higher caliber of player. Although you can certainly get great players at Notre Dame, but also. He is not. Is he going to be able to wield the same um, autocratic kind of manner at LSU 
uh, that he did it at Notre Dame. Do you see, if you see what I'm saying, he's going to have to put up with some things at LSU that he did not have to put up with at Notre Dame. And I think it's going to be interesting to see whether he can adjust to that. I think he's kind of the, well, first of all, he, he set for life. He didn't, didn't need this job. Right. Yeah. Um, he put up, I, I, they're a very different animal, but the intensity of annoyance of Notre Dame fans and LSU fans, I'm sure the same at the end of the day. Yeah. I'm not talking about fans. I'm talking about behavior of athletes and, and uh, <laughs> things like, things like that. Oh I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but so <laughs> we talked about him way too much in this show, but Rick Neuheisel, who we both adore, told a great story today about when Nick Saban was at Michigan State and was considering going to LSU. Okay. Did you hear this, Mike? I did not. I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> so I think I'm getting the facts straight here. Um, Always a good intro to a story. I think I'm getting the facts straight. Saban, um, so he's, he's getting like, pinged by LSU like hey you know we're, we're interested in you coming down here but like at this point believe it Saban was doing well at Michigan State but was not like killing it he was doing okay mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Saban sends Miss Terry down to LSU to scout things out like take a look at the facilities all, all the like get a, kind of like a, a general sense of what's what because Saban had a pretty good deal at Michigan State he was doing fine okay and New Hustle's like, so she goes down there, does the tour, meets with all the powers that be, the AD or whatever, gets the whole sense of what's what. She comes back and her report is, she's like, you know, weight room is not up to standard. Um, problems here, problems here, problems here, problems here. But you should see the defensive lineman. <laughs> 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 and we all know this. We know, I mean, I know this is a Penn State fan. Like the only thing we're good at anymore is defense. Like, defensive linemen are we saw it in the michigan ohio state game with hudson won that game for michigan they couldn't block them right we've seen it with georgia all year all the best vintage bama teams like for whatever reason it's still it's all up front and it's all from the defensive side of the ball and if you're brian kelly who i can't think of a dominant um notre dame defensive lineman in recent history can you mike Chris but, Zorich is like the last one, and that's what 20 <laughs> years ago. 1988. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I get it. Again, he's just he wants to win stuff and he thinks he can win there more than he can in Notre Dame. Um, so good on him. This of It'll, course brings us to the question of now what, Mike? For Notre Dame? You have a big now what for Oklahoma, a blue blood program and Notre Dame mm-hmm. it was a blue blood plus program I think Notre Dame one is pretty obvious to everybody for, for me Notre Dame Notre Dame is clear they're gonna they want fickle number one and I think uh, it's very obvious that that's number one because their AD Jack Swarbuck said in his press conference not only is he not naming an interim he's like he said there's no need to name a new coach until after the playoff but, I mean that that they want Luke Fickle there's no question about that and he is not going to leave uh, Cincinnati if they're in the playoffs. So, uh, to me, that's that's very clear as to that. I think number two, if they don't get fickle, they might uh, elevate their defensive coordinator Marcus Freeman, who seems to be a upcoming star. Oklahoma, I don't think is as clear to me. They, you know, you hear the names floated around Matt Campbell, but uh, you know he really regressed this year. He's seven and five at, uh, at Iowa State and. And people love him as a as a coach, but uh, Bob Stoops coming back to coach the ball. They, they Mark Stoops was his name was bandied about, but he got an extension with Kentucky. I don't think he would want to go coach his brother's shadow anymore. So for me, Oklahoma's a little less clear. I think Notre Dame has a clear pecking order. I think for, I agree. Fickle is the obvious glaring choice. Um, yeah, I found out on Monday actually at the bus stop. My neighbor Roy who um, is retired now, but his business when he was like still working was he did like um, team rewards for college and high school football teams. Okay. So he, he's like, he did col- like big time college teams. Like I showed you in my garage, was like a 1985 Penn state, uh, whatever national championship, like thing that he did. 
Okay. Like a plaque with a photo or something, right? That he, for players, all right? So a friend of his, um, his son is on Fickle staff at Cincinnati. And Roy is very anti-James Franklin. <laughs> and he's like, uh, he's like, oh, thank God we only have 10 more years of this. I'll pray dead by the end of this. But he's like, he's like, just so you know, he's like, he's like, you know, Fickle is very picky about, he's got a great situation in Cincinnati. And there's only a, a three jobs in the uh, Midwest he would have taken. And of course, his top choice is Ohio State for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame. And he's like, the only one he would, uh, would have taken is Penn State. And I'm like, oh, really? So much, so much for that. Um, yeah, that's very interesting. What was, let me ask you this. If Roy is retired, what is he doing at a bus stop? <laughs> he was across the street. And uh, I was like, I was like pissed off about the Penn State game. Like, Roy, come over here. Um, we chatted for a little bit, so he's like he, Roy. Roy knows more about recruiting than like anybody. Tom Luganville. Oh, he's like he's just like he's like oh this guy's coming in. He's gonna be great. I'm like okay, Roy, I trust you. <laughs> I love those people who know know about recruiting. <laughs> um. Anyways, yeah. So I agree with you. Notre Dame Fickle is the obvious obvious choice. If they don't get him, I don't. So I I saw a report today. I think the DC that you mentioned is going. Marcus. He's going to LSU. Well, that's that's I, I've seen conflicting reports about that. Of course, we're recording this on Wednesday. Whenever people listen, it might be a moot point. I have no idea. Um, so, may, may, I mean, that that could be a tough situation where Swarbeck's going to wait for Fickle, and then if Fickle doesn't work out for some reason, he'll already lost Freeman to uh, LSU. But look, Notre Dame will get a quality coach. Who do you? Let's go back to Oklahoma. Who do you think they're going to get? That's again a much more trickier question. Yeah. So. A name I've heard, and this will not be a, a slam dunk hire in the minds of Oklahoma fans, but I think it kind of makes sense. How about Josh Heupel? Yeah, that's interesting. Former Oklahoma quarterback, uh, achieved a lot of success at UCF and had really had Tennessee looking like a like like a real uh, bona fide SEC football team this year. He doesn't he doesn't have the sex appeal, shall we say, right? Um, but that's an interesting uh, it's an interesting name. I hadn't heard his name brought up in all the stuff i've read about it but uh it makes sense how about tom herman mike <laughs> oh my god that's a no starter that's a non-starter right there <laughs> would that be great just like controversy though like just like oh if they if they and then what if oklahoma then went on to just start pounding texas with tom herman <laughs> that would or be greg, awesome greg shiano was out there too available oh god he wouldn't i i don't think he'll uh i hate fit in oklahoma and uh, as always um Tony Dungy's out there waiting still, too. <laughs> and Bill Cower and John Gruden. <laughs> All right. Games of the week. Um, number 10, Oregon versus number 17, Utah, 8 p.m. Friday, ABC in Las Vegas. Right, Mike? Will anyone be watching this? I know I will not. Utah favored by three. They just pummeled uh, Oregon, what, two, three weeks ago? Um, and they're only favored by three. The It's a neutral field this time, and it's hard to beat. Uh, the same team twice, blah, blah, blah. But I think ultimately I just don't care about this game. <laughs> Unfortunately, right. It's kind of irrelevant. You feel bad for the Pac-12. They, they try their yeah. best. They try. They'll, have their, they'll have their moment with, uh, with Lincoln Riley in a few years. <laughs> uh, number nine, Baylor versus number five, Oklahoma State, noon ABC. This is good, though, because everyone will have to do their homework and watch the Cowboys this week, Mike. Yes, it's the, they're the only game on it. I mean, of course, they're, they're opposite the MAC uh, championship game with Kent State and Northern Illinois. But, yes, I'll be watching Oklahoma State in their entirety, probably for the first time since I was at Bedlam in 2018. Looking forward to it. The uh, Cowboys, five-and-a-half-point favorites. Again, uh, they, they already beat Baylor early in, in this year. Always tough to beat the same team twice. And this game played at Jerry World. Is that right, Tim? I'm assuming so, unfortunately. Yeah, I believe, I believe it is. Yep, it is. How about Kent State versus uh, Northern Illinois Noon ESPN? This guy, Kent State's done an unbelievable job, apparently. I don't even know his name, but like his whole thing is like tempo offense beyond all tempo offenses. Like, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, Kent State has been just historically terrible for, for, you know, the last, the last fill in the blank years. And I, I have to admit, I wasn't following my Mac football as closely as I should this year. And so when I looked to see who was in the title game, I was shocked to see Kent State in there, and they are favored 
by three and a half over uh, Northern Illinois. This game played at the Detroit Lions Ford Field in uh, in Detroit. What an apt setting for the MAC title game. And I'm very much looking forward to having this on TV3 on uh, Saturday. So apparently, so um, Terry Pluto, who's just the best sports writer in Cleveland, gave a few stories. Like, this has been, to your point, Kent State historically has been one of the worst teams in the MAC every single year. They're just, they've never had a glory era <laughs> Kent State. This guy, and I'm, I'm sorry I'm blanking on his name, has done an unbelievable job. Um, they had a really tough schedule this year against like three tough power five um, games start of the season. Um, but Terry Pluto got into like the detail of their practices. Like the coach tries to run as many plays as possible in practice. Like he wants 95 plays done in an hour and a half. Like just go, 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 go. Like give the defense no time to rest. So I'm, I've not seen them play. But I will, I will also have it on TV number two, Mike. Yes, uh, Sean Lewis is his name, the head coach of Kent State. And uh, this might be their best team since they had one Nick Saban uh, playing there at Kent State in the mid-1970s. Uh, and Sean Lewis, I'm guessing, also not long for Kent State, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. That's, that's what's so sad about these. But, yes, especially if he wins this. You could see him as the uh, – I wouldn't mind seeing him as the IU offensive coordinator, that's for sure. Um, oh, speaking of the Mac, Mike, uh, Joe Moorhead, former Penn State OC, who was recently went to Mississippi State, was fired, went to Oregon as the OC, the new mm-hmm. coach at the for the Akron Zips. Nice, good congratulations for him. And I'm, I will add that um, uh, Kalen DeBoer, the former offensive coordinator for IU during our two glory years of 2019 and 2020. Uh, or it might have been 18 and 19. He went to become head coach of Fresno State, had a great year with them, had them in the top 25 with this awesome quarterback that beat UCLA this year, almost beat Oregon. He's the new head coach at University of Washington. So congrats to him too. We need our we need we need these assistants back to our teams, Tim. We do. <laughs> That's a big jump from Fresno to Washington, though. Wow. Wow. Yep. Uh, Appy State versus Louisiana, three thirty ESPN. This is the Sun Belt, right, Mike? Jack will be watching this one, right? Is he still a big Sun Belt fan? Uh, yep. Mountaineers, Mountaineers, three point favorites against uh, Billy Napier will be coaching. I believe I, I read he will be coaching the Raging Cajuns in this Sun Belt title game. He's going to Florida after this game. Uh, here we go. Number one Georgia versus number three Bama, four p.m. CBS, of course, in Atlanta. Um, it's hard to say this when you you know the history of the reality of what Bama is and Nick Saban being the greatest coach by a large distance in the history of the football. Like this game, I there in the, in their in the context of what Alabama has been since two thousand and seven, this is a flawed Alabama team, and I just think I just think that this Georgia team has been so consistently good and solid across the board. I know Georgia fans, including notable listener Brian Schlitter, will be like nervous as hell for this game. I just think Georgia's fundamentally top to bottom a better team. I agree with you, but there are, there are two caveats I would add. One is the situation that Georgia has clinched a playoff berth. No matter what you tell your players, no matter how big winning the SEC is, no matter how big beating Alabama is, they're still human beings. They know in the back of their head that they can lose this game and still make the playoff, whereas Alabama knows that they must win the game. That is a big difference in mindset. Number two, and I heard this on the radio today. This is staggering. Alabama has only been an underdog five times since 2008. Five times <laughs> since 2008. It's unbelievable. This is the sixth time that they've been an underdog. In all four, five of those five times that they were underdogs since 2008, they won the game outright. That is a scary stat if you're a Georgia fan. That is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, I heard that on the radio today. Um, I, I wish I could remember uh, what program I heard it on. But, yes, that is an unbelievable stat. And so it'll be a fun, fun game to watch. Um, I kind of want Georgia to win because I'd like them to go in unblemished, you know, and I'd like to see someone other than Alabama in the playoff, but uh, it'll just, it'll, it'll be a great one to watch. 
number 21, Houston. Number four, Cincinnati, 4 p.m. ABC. Again, this game is so pivotal, p- pivotal to the entire yes. thing. I mean, Georgia Bama is a great game, but to your point, it's not important to the playoff. This is so huge. Yeah, well, it's it's somewhat important. If Alabama wins, you know, you know that knocks somebody out of the playoff. But yes, this is huge in its own right. Cincinnati, a 10 and a half point favorite against that. We a Houston team that, as we said, has won 11 in a row. Um, I think that's a big number. I'd certainly take uh, Houston plus the 10 and a half, uh, even though the game is at Nippert. They don't play at a neutral site in the American Athletic Conference. And I love that these games are on at the same time. I can't wait to have both of them on at the same time. But yeah, give me Houston in the points plus 10 and a half for sure. Uh, number two, Michigan versus number 13, Iowa, 8 p.m. Fox, another glaring reason why we need to reorganize the divisions in the Big Ten. This is a joke. Iowa is nowhere near number 13 in the country. I'm sorry. All due respect, Iowa. I think Michigan boat races them, Mike. Interesting. So you don't – I mean, if any if any week was primed for a letdown – now, granted, this is the Big Ten title game, um, and they're not on the road. They're in a stupid dome in Indianapolis. But – this got let down written all over it. Michigan 11 point favorite. I mean, this is a game that, that Ohio did you watching that celebration uh, on the field there at the big house. I mean, when do you think they stopped celebrating and started thinking about Iowa, you know, today, <laughs> maybe tomorrow. I mean, now luckily for them, Iowa's offense is so inept. I can't see how they're going to do anything against Michigan's defense, but I think Michigan's offense could certainly sleepwalk against the Hawkeyes. And it could be a close game, but I would, I would say Michigan would win for sure. But I don't think it's going to be a boat racing like you do. Um, so here is if you're um, Iowa's OC, okay, you know your quarterback sucks. You can't throw yep. the ball, okay. So it's like okay, either we try and run against Michigan, they put like seven, eight guys in the box or whatever, and like yeah, we'll be some grind some yards or whatever, or we try to pass with a bad, immobile quarterback with limited talent at wide out and you have Hutchinson coming off the corner every single play, like good luck. Like what they, they need, they need, they need trick plays. They need some, they need to play. The thing is they they need to play a style that they don't play. They need to play with kind of reckless abandon throwing, you know, caution to the wind. They need maybe some fake punts, something like that. Maybe an onside kick here or there. They need to play loosely like that. Doesn't seem to be Iowa's MO. So I agree with you there, but I just think, Iowa's defense can keep it close against Michigan's offense. So I don't, I, I just don't think it would, it's necessarily going to be a blowout. Uh, number 15 pit versus number 16, Wake Forest, 8 PM Fox. Um, <laughs> who at the start of the year would have pegged this one? <laughs> <laughs> no one, no one on the face of the planet, but it's going to be a fun game. The over under is 71 and a half. You're going to have a ton of points scored. You've got two great quarterbacks and Sam Hartman and Kenny Pickett. Um, Pitt favored by three. I it's just kind of unfortunate that they play this game at the Bank of America, the Charlotte Panthers or the Carolina Panthers home stadium in Charlotte. It's going to be about half full. I mean, play this one on campus, ACC. Come on. I mean, you don't necessarily have two of the best atmospheres in college football, either Pitt or Wake Forest. Right? No, you certainly don't. But it'd be it. it I think for the ACC title game, it would find it like if if only. You know, if Heinz Field were only half filled for the ACC championship game, that could be the final death blow where you're like, all right, put your build a new campus on stadium pit or, you know, get out of the league. They should play either at Clemson or at um, <laughs> Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium. <laughs> great. Actually, that's a great idea playing the game at Clemson. I mean, we know for a fact Clemson has an incredible atmosphere. That would be that's a fun, I like that idea. And you know Clemson fans would go, just to go. Well, yeah, right? why not? Why not? They'd tailgate right. for it. <laughs> Mike, our picks last week were what? Timmy, we both uh, shit the bed last week. Uh, you took the over-under on the Egg Bowl. You took over and it went under. I took Florida State. Again. How, how did Flo- a coach's Florida team that went 2-6 and six in the SEC rally back to beat uh, the Knolls? I have no idea. Um, but that's what happened. Uh, and so I am six and seven on the year. You are five and eight. Just amazing. Amazing. All right, uh, Bobby, get the bumper. Plays bets on college football. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir. I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. 
You're winning, sir. Oh, thank you very much. What do you mean you don't bet? I mean, I don't bet. You know, I don't care. I don't. I never have, and I never will. Yeah, right. The Mike Unger 50-50 possible lot probable loser of the week. Please hang up and try again. Tim, for this week's championship game lock of the week, we are going to the aforementioned Jerry World in Arlington, Texas, home of absolutely nothing, but it is smack dab in the middle of Dallas and Fort Worth, uh, where Baylor and Oklahoma State engage in a rematch. The winner, uh, ba- I think Baylor could still have a chance to sneak in if a lot of stuff happens and they beat Oklahoma State. Certainly if Oklahoma State wins, they have a, a very good chance, I think, of getting into the playoff. But I'm taking Baylor plus five and a half. Um, the, the teams, their first game was was a close game. Um, Oklahoma State uh, has a great defense, a decent offense. Baylor, good on both sides of the ball. I think it'll. I just, I have a feeling it'll be a field goal game, a tight game. So I'm taking the Bears plus the points. I am confidently taking Michigan to cover this. I would like. I can tell you were going that way when you when you used the term boat racing. So you're taking Michigan minus eleven. Interesting. It'll be an eight o'clock game. Where are you going to watch football this Saturday, Timmy? Hmm. I think just here at home. Like, hopefully, I'll, I'll power back in my garage at that point, though. <laughs> yeah, you have three days to get your outlet situation taken care of uh, because this is it, Tim. After this, we have Army Navy, and then we have some scattered bowl games, and then, uh, of course, the semis on um, on New Year's Eve. But in terms of like your 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 wall to wall football on Saturday, this Saturday is it. I think this, I, I, we say it every year, probably. I do think this year flew by faster than any year I can think of. Because it was the first year back from that whole shit show of COVID, Mike, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, it was so enjoyable, too. Great season this year. Lots of upsets, lots of new people involved. Uh, you got your Oklahoma States, your Cincinnati's. I uh, loved all that. It was a disappointing year for Indiana. And, uh, oh, we forgot to say Maryland played great against Rutgers on Saturday. Blew out Rutgers to go to get bowl eligible at six and six congratulations to coach Loxley and the Terps <laughs> it's always good to end in the Terps right Mike <laughs> it is it is that's a good signing off point and so Tim will do maybe one more podcast at some point either before the Army Navy game or after it where we'll uh to look to the bowls and the semis and uh that could be it pretty much that all right Mike one thing to say thanks for listening everyone Pachas. Pachas. Thank you for listening to the TCFA podcast. For more college football news and wit, visit intelligentcollegefootball.com.